1: BFM 89.9, the business station. This is Cruise Control, the car show here on BFM. My name's Rich Bradbury. I'm joined on the phone lines, as usual, uh, by my two chums. I have Arif Ruse. He's the man with the news. Hi, Arif. Hi, Richard. Hi, everybody. And then over there somewhere is uh, Daniel Fernandez, influencer extraordinaire uh, from dsf.my. Hi, Daniel.
0: Hello, everybody. Hello, Richard. And even though Arif didn't say hello to me, I'm going to say hello, Arif.
1: Hello, Daniel. (laughs) As usual, we have a show in two parts. Uh, We'll be talking about news up at the top. And then in the second part, we've got some uh, car reviews and some launches and some interesting stuff as per usual. But to kick things off, Mr. Arif Ruz, give me some of that news.
2: Literally just yesterday, um, Vietnamese carmaker VinFast announced that they will go public. And due to rumors of a US IPO for Vietnam's largest private corporation, Vingroup, which owns VinFast, shares rose as much as 6.9% yesterday with an estimated valuation of 60 billion US dollars. But that's not why we're bringing it up. We're bringing it up because VinFast is probably one of the most up-and-coming carmakers in the world, aren't they?
0: Actually, I am two minds on this, because why? We've not seen them really selling cars in large numbers. Mm -hmm. They've got some pretty fantabulous claims on their vehicles. (laughs) We know Vietnam has got a huge population and, you know, internally they'll be able to make enough money. Mm. But going on an IPO so soon and, you know, you're not really a global company and your cars haven't really been proven. And, you know, even recently they came out with a statement saying, they're going to use this new NVIDIA technology for autonomous drive and everything else. But without feeling and touching and seeing it in person, I, I can't really comment whether this is good or bad.
2: Mm. Just a bit of a background on the group that runs VinFast, right. which is Vingroup. It is run by Vietnam's first billionaire and property developer, Mr. Pham Nhat Vong. And Vin Group literally does everything in Vietnam via right. its subsidiary. So each of their ventures starts with Vin. You could probably play Vin Group Bingo with this, right. because uh, <laughs> they are in property development, and it's called Vincom and Vin Office real estate, uh, Vin Homes. They've got luxury resorts called Vin Pearl, amusement parks called Vin Wonders hospitals called VinMec, schools called Vin School, <laughs> Vin University is their university, and uh, even a bunch of stuff like FinTech, network security systems, smartphones, convenience stores, and of course, cars. But yeah, I guess like Daniel said, this is hard to judge without touching and feeling everything, but they are saying that they're going to be doing a global expansion in key markets in 2022 uh, with a bunch of new electric vehicles powered by NVIDIA Drive. So that's pretty interesting.
0: Right, but when you say... Key markets. Key markets could be countries that don't really buy electric cars.
1: Well, can I, can I just ch- uh, chime in for a sec? Right. Do you know who their uh, CEO is for uh, VinFast?
0: It's a lady, right?
1: No, it's a yeah. guy called James B. DeLuca. He is a CEO for VinFast. He used to be GM's um, CEO for manufacturing.
0: Interesting, oh. interesting. So they got a lot of money and they can pay.
1: Exactly. So I'm guessing the markets that they're looking at is probably likely to be Southeast Asia with uh, possible expansion over to the US at some point.
0: Okay, I have to disagree with you that I don't think Southeast Asia. You know why? Electric car adoption here is very slow. And on top of that, these cars are all left hand drive.
1: That's true. Also, the weird thing is, though, about, about as, as I'm sure you all you, you both know, Vietnam is a scooter country. It's a yeah. bike country. You know,
0: but their automotive uh, expansion, sales and expansion, is very, very, very fast. They've already beaten almost all the other countries in Southeast Asia except Indonesia in terms of sales. Yes. Oh wow! You know, in fact, a lot of brands are going there and, and expanding very fast. I give you an example: Infinity sells more cars. There than the rest of Southeast Asia.
1: Wow, that is interesting.
0: Yes,
2: <laughs> well, their the Vietnam's top-selling car is uh, Vinfast, based on a Vauxhall Viva right. a city car. They make currently make three e-scooters, which is very good, and I feel like those should be the bikes that should be you know exported around Southeast Asia, right? Uh, mm. Because it makes more sense. Like I said, they have more EVs coming later this year and apparently three or four more e scooters that will come along as well. So that's quite interesting stuff from VinFast. Like we said, it remains to be seen where exactly these key markets are, but US does seem like a good shout, and I'm going to say probably
0: China. Of course, China and US, these are the two biggest markets for them to go into. Straight Mm. away, left-hand drive, straight away, you know, the Vietnam's association with US, and also Vietnam's association with China with manufacturing, it'll just work well.
2: Mm. Anyway, next story... Yes, next. So, uh, the World Car Person of the Year Award. Ah, it wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you'd be getting one for the G-Shock ad you have.
0: Exactly. exactly. No, didn't get it.
2: didn't get it. <laughs> this award goes to Mr. Akio Toyota, who runs and who is the chairman of, basically, Toyota Motors. Well deserved. I never knew such an award existed for the World Car
1: Person. I, I was just going to ask, there is such a thing?
0: Yes, every year they have it for many years. But World Car of the Year seldom gets mentioned in our part of the world because the judges are mostly from countries where there's a lot of left-hand drive vehicles. So those vehicles are not really showed, you know, are sold here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, GM vehicles, uh, you know, uh, American-based, uh, like, say, for example, Acura and Fords and, and Chevrolet, which don't come to this part of the world.
2: Mainly American-based then, I guess.
0: Yes, yes, yes. But it's still a very prestigious award. And a lot of Japanese cars have won in the past.
2: Well, this year's other winners are Pratap Bose, the Vice President of Tata Motors, which I think is a bit of a surprise. I didn't know Tata was doing that well. But I guess they do dominate the Indian market quite a lot, don't they? Uh, number three and four of the World Car Person of the Year Awards goes to both Hyundai, Chairman Yusun Chung and CCO Luke Donka Volker. I think I got those pronunciations right.
1: <laughs> Absolutely perfect, I'm sure.
2: And then number five is a program manager for a specific car, the Mazda MX-30, which is super interesting. But Akio Toyota, he has quite an interesting story because, first of all, Toyota, of course, means he's uh, the grandson of the company founder and he's been chairman since 2009. He's a guy who loves racing. Uh, he's been noted for introducing lots of Lexus F models, their performance brand. He's uh, participated in the numbering 24 Hours a few times, and he still races today at the age of 65. Mm -hmm. But uh, Toyota, during his tenure... It still remained kind of a strong brand globally, and it has always sold well, and its core reputation still remains of being super reliable and dependable. And this is despite the mid 2000s humdrum era, which uh, Akio Toyota had to testify before the US Congress over an avoidable accident and an alarming 8.5 million recalled Toyotas globally in 2009. That's a lot of cars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So when he testified, he gave an honest account of Toyota's lack of quality control. And he gave reasons because Toyota was expanding globally across all different markets in Mexico, Southeast Asia, Africa, and all those places. And he introduced a plan to take the company forward back in 2009 and leave behind their, all of their quality control issues. And I would guess in some sense... Uh, his plans seem to have come to fruition because the company, I feel at least, the company has turned around and put them back into the spotlight, remaining even profitable through the pandemic in 2020.
0: I'm actually very impressed with this man. Even though some people in some segments say that, you know, because he's not pushing very hard for electric vehicles and he's going more towards hydrogen and everything else, I think he's got a master plan ready. And actually, Toyota, for this Olympics, they were already planning to showcase a lot of electric vehicles. but I think for them, hydrogen is the way forward because it's faster to fill up, it's, uh, it's a cheaper source, it's uh, easier to work with because they've, they've worked a lot on hydrogen. So, of course, the rest of the world is going to electric vehicles, but nobody's thinking about battery, battery recycling, the cost mm-hmm. that discarded batteries will be sitting on the earth, you know, things like that. Whereas he's looking at a, a more sustainable, long-term solution, which is hydrogen totally agree yeah but anyway it's you know it's two schools of thought but i want to say well done Akio.
1: any yeah. thoughts rich no no I, I the fact that he's still racing and, and interested in doing that at 64 65 i think is fantastic and when i do finally eventually get my driving license you know i i hope to be doing something similar
0: so you're gonna go <laughs> racing
1: <laughs> i'd like to yeah let,
0: let me be your pr officer this will be so interesting
1: deal deal <laughs> you have a deal <laughs> <laughs> no but i i really ag- agree
2: with you daniel because it feels like is the biggest car company in the world and they are taking a bold step of
1: not actually going towards battery powered yes. electric vehicles yes. and like you said mining is i don't know about this you know i really don't know about that i, I think they're going to be out there alone in this you know it was like when you know when there was the decision originally to move from horse and carriage to motorized vehicles there was ford out there stood by themselves for the longest of time and people looking at them, and eventually everybody went the Ford route and I think the problem is with something like electric vehicles versus hydrogen hydrogen is going to be one of those things which is always going to be an outlier I think and, and might be secondary and, and kind of supportive of electric vehicles but I think uh, I'm not so sure about this Campbell I'm sat on the fence on this
2: Off the top of my head there's only one other car company that works on hydrogen which is BMW Yeah, and they haven't done anything with hydrogen in the past 10 years Yeah they've, they've <laughs> kind
1: of let it sit and stew for a while
0: What is it? I agree with you, Richard, because, you know, it's like a left field test, but they still got electric cars. But what they are saying is, I'm still going to throw a lot of money into R&D for hydrogen because it's long term. No, I agree.
1: Yeah, I agree. Maybe 50, 60 years down the line, this could be something perhaps. But because battery technology is the one, as we know, is the one thing that's holding it all back.
2: Yes. Anyway, from Akio Toyota to their new car called the Toyota Harrier. It's back in Malaysia since last week. Uh, it's going to cost 250,000 Ringgit, and as usual, it's a luxury Toyota, so it's very high spec. You've got Toyota safety sense, LED headlamps, panoramic sunroof, powered leather seats, a powered tailgate, digital screens, and also, for the first time in Malaysia, a digital rear view mirror. Mm. Quite interesting stuff. Yes. Um, worth the money, Daniel? 250,000?
0: I've seen these cars and they are almost... I mean, they're 99% Alexis, you know? It just (laughs) doesn't carry a Lexus badge. And then it's CBU Japan. Of course... A lot of people are saying, why no turbocharged version? Yeah. Okay. But then again, Toyota is trying to say it's fuel efficient, it's a family vehicle, it's for inner city commuting. When you go on the highway, there's still enough power. But of course, you know, Malaysians will always say, Oh, I want more power, more power. And then they'll come back and say, Why the consumption so high? eh?" So, (laughs) you know, you and you know, because the CBU, they don't have to bring in a lot of units to flood the market. You want, I order. You want, I order. You know, simple as that.
2: Uh, In terms of competition, though, last week as well, BMW Malaysia launched the X3 S Drive 20i, which cost about the same kind of money. Yes, two hundred and eighty-seven thousand ringgit. It's going to come in in the X Line package, so it's (laughs) the way I would describe it is the Porsche and suburban spec. Right, and you know the lower price means a less powerful powertrain, so one hundred and eighty-four horsepower from the same two-liter turbo four-cylinder that they put in the. X330i X-Drive model. And this one is rear wheel drive only, but it's very well spec and somehow comparable to the Harrier. It's got 19-inch wheels, aluminum trim, uh sports seats, two digital display, BMW Hi-Fi audio, and a bunch of other safety kits. So two hundred eighty-seven thousand ringgit for a BMW or two hundred fifty thousand ringgit for what is essentially a Lexus. What's your take on it,
0: guys? I'll go I'll go for the Toyota because it'll be super reliable, no after-sales issue. And selling it is going to be a breeze.
1: I agree. Me too. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I agree.
0: You know, know, both BMW owners are agreeing with me. So,
2: (laughs) I mean, you can't argue with that fact, you know. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: And
2: I guess on that agreeable note.
1: Yes. Uh, Let's take a short break, shall we? Of course, you are tuned into uh, Cruise Control, the car show here on bfm i'm rich bradbury i'm on the line with uh, arif ruse and daniel fernandez from dsf.my we're going to take a short break and when we do come back uh, we have cars and car reviews uh, a bit of notice about the uh, suzuki swift sport 1.4 and we've got some other stuff of course all juicy stuff a little bit later on coming up here on cruise control on bfm 89.9 <music>
0: Because freedom matters. BFM 89.9.
1: BFM 89.9, the business station. Welcome back to Cruise Control. I'm Rich Bradbury. As usual, I'm on the phone with Arif Ruse and Daniel Fernandez from DSF.com. My. Just before the break, we were mentioning uh, Malaysia's launch, the X3 S-Drive for BMW, the uh, 20i. Is that right? Yep, it is. S-Drive 20i. Uh, and then we spoke about uh, the Harrier that launched here around 250,000 ringgit launch price. Uh, <laughs> now, uh, what are we talking about now? Oh, yes, it's another BMW.
2: Yeah, so along with the launch of the X3 S-Drive 20i, Uh, BMW as well gave a preview of a Chinese market long-wheel-based BMW 3 Series known as the 330Li. And essentially... As I mentioned, is a long wheelbase BMW three series, so uh, it's gonna come in the M Sport model. Got a high spec, lovely coffee brown interior with shadow line trim, and the trick about this car, I guess, because it's Li, it gives you one hundred and ten millimeters more space in the back seat, which is very usable. But I've never thought the BMW three series was a bit cramped. That was the thing, mm. and the wheelbase is like 10 millimeters shorter than the bmw 5 series so i'm kind of wondering why see i mean there's probably a market (laughs) for (laughs) malaysians for this car but it just doesn't make sense to me 10 millimeters now
0: i'll tell i'll tell you this is my analysis okay i actually was sitting down with my with my staff and and trying to figure this out why did they do this because you know pr will always tell you fluff you know (laughs) So yeah. we have to figure yeah. it out ourselves. It's actually a very smart move because BMW Malaysia have stopped selling the base model 520i. Okay. So there's a little gap in the market. So to make sure that people stay with the brand, they've launched a long wheelbase car, which is very successful in China. Mm-hmm. So it makes good sense, you know, the amount of demand there is in China for long wheelbase BMW 3 Series and also the C-Class, you know, and Malaysians are also moving towards what China likes, you know? Mm. Yeah. In a lot of ways. So, it makes a lot of sense. And because you got that missing link in terms of the low-spec 5 Series, this price point makes it a lot interesting for a lot of Malaysians to walk in and say, hey, you know, if I need more space instead of buying a 5 Series, I get this car.
2: But if you need more space, you go buy an X3.
0: Yeah, but that's an SUV. There are some people who still want a sedan, you know?
2: That's true. That's Like for true. me, mean- I'm not
0: an SUV lover. I like sedans. I like hatchbacks. I'll probably say if I really need the extra space because my children are growing up, I'll buy this, you know?
2: Yeah, I guess so. I mean, three hundred one thousand ringgit is the is the asking price for this car. It would have been twenty five thousand ringgit less than the five twenty i. It's currently ten thousand ringgit less than the X three X drive thirty i, and eight thousand ringgit more than the regular three thirty i. And I guess you know longer wheelbase. I'm kind of curious about how it drives because it might not drive like a three series anymore.
0: You mean it won't be as nimble and agile as the 3 Series? Yeah,
2: which was the point of getting a BMW 3 Series. If you don't really want that, you get a C-Class. <laughs> yeah, but
0: you know, BMW have never failed in the handling game.
2: That is very true. Yeah,
0: so they would make sure you still have that agile handling because you don't want to lose customers who are previous BMW owners getting to this kind and saying, hey, it's not as good as my old BMW 3 Series. I'm not going to buy it, you know?
2: I guess the only way to find out is for us to take it for a test drive. True.
1: Can we stop talking about BMWs now and talk about the other Germans?
2: Yes. (laughs) Yes. Um, It's the Porsche 911 Turbo S. Uh,
1: Which is a very pretty car. Really nice. Very. Porsche is in a really good zone. They've never been in a bad zone. Come on. (laughs) That's true. Well, okay. That's arguable. I'm not so much of a fan of their SUVs. But but the
0: price price is right up your your earning power.
1: Oh, please. (laughs) The price, as Daniel
2: alluded at, was $2.24 million for what I guess is the ultimate 911, the 911 Turbo S. It's a lot of money. Essentially, what you're looking at is whether you want to buy a Rolls Royce for $2.24 million after taxes and everything, or you want to buy a 911 Turbo S. That's the market you're playing in, really. <laughs> I, I
1: suppose that, that boils down to whether or not you're single or not yes that's true that's true
0: (laughs) but but the thing is is if you're driving a Porsche you'll definitely not be single and if you're in a Rolls Royce there will be a lot of people who want to make you not single you know
2: you know I disagree with that I think if you buy a Porsche chances are you are probably single
0: you think so yeah
2: I mean it's such a bachelor's car I don't imagine anybody would allow their partner to buy a 2.25 million Porsche because it's a Porsche
0: so you're saying that the partner decides whether they can buy a Porsche or not
1: it's, I mean, you know, when you start a family, it's a family thing. I mean, a 911 is not exactly built for comfort, is it? You yeah.
0: know? Well, <laughs> yeah. if, if you wanted a Porsche, and if you could afford 2.2 2 million, you can definitely afford 688,000 and buy your partner a Porsche Cayenne.
1: That's true. <laughs> That's, a good, <laughs> That's yeah. a good point. That's a good point. That's a good point.
0: Come on. Yeah. Cayenne is only like one third the price. Uh
2: huh. Um, In terms of technicals, this 911 Turbo S comes with 3.8-litre flat-six with twin variable turbos, making 641 horsepower and 800 newton-meters of torque via an 8-speed PDK gearbox. And the sprint time, 0-100 to in 2.7 seconds, which is honestly neck-breaking right what That's, i think about as fast as the porsche taycan that we're about to drive this weekend right Daniel? yes
0: yes so the question now is would you buy this on the top range taycan
2: which costs about the same as a porsche cayenne yes. six hundred fifty thousand ringgit yes, yes um as usual of course porsche wall spec you get adaptive suspension 18 way adjustable sports seats staggered wheels 20 inch wheels at the front and 21 inch in the rear uh sports exhaust and many many more goodies but I think we should talk about an even more interesting car which costs maybe 10% of the price. Mm, Tell us. Uh, It's the Suzuki Swift. (laughs) And the Suzuki (laughs) Swift Sport. What what a segue. What does that work, Rich? (laughs) Yeah, so uh, take it away, Daniel.
0: Okay, the funny thing is this car has come into town and there's so much social media hype on it. Okay. Yeah. And it's like eighty percent negative and like twenty percent positive, and it's and the eighty percent and the eighty percent negative is because of the selling price. Mm. Now we got a chance to 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 taste this this little you know a pocket. I would say pocket rocket, not really rocket, but you know, quick little pocket car. A week before it was launched.
1: It's a nimble thimble.
0: That's the right word. You see, you always need someone from the good old Great Britain to give us the right word for it. so okay nimble timble so yes this nimble timble we were given about 15 minutes just around the the Nasa yard Uh, there's a little bit of a you know tarmac area you can we can go and and do a 0 to 100 not exactly a 0 to 100 more like a 0 to 50 but we got a nice first impression of the car for 15 minutes but we spent another about maybe half an hour dissecting the interior so I've got to start by saying this the price 139,000 shocked Malaysian car enthusiasts and they said hey this is too expensive but when we did a bit of research online uh, mm. just before the launch, we realized that Grey Importers, because this, is, this car has been around for three, four years, Grey Importers mm. have been bringing it in the last few years, selling it used with mileage, no warranty, no after sales, for between hundred and thirty to 135000 <laughs> This That's weird. Yes. And immediately after the car was launched last weekend, Monday, Tuesday, when I went to see the same online classifieds, some of them had reduced the price to 120,000
1: mm, for the be- gray market ones.
0: The gray market ones, because right why? to be honest, if this car is four years old, it should be only worth about 80 to 85,000. Yeah, so the gray market guys will have to slash and burn their prices and bring this car down to at least 90 95,000. Yeah, unless people buying them do not read dsf.my huh. <laughs> and then they'll make a, make a killing. So, meanwhile, we got the car for a little while, we dissected the interior. And what we found was a really, I will actually be brave enough to use the word premium because the interior is so well built, so well put together. And you must understand, in Japan, this car comes from a factory that builds the same range of cars for the rest of Asia. But in UK and Europe, this car comes from the European factory. Yeah. And the standards are the same.
2: This is a Japanese car though, right?
0: Yes. It's a 100% made in Japan car. Naza Eastern which is the importer for this car they're only bringing in cars from Japan yeah so you're getting a made in Japan car and because they're fully imported the cars come in every month the stock comes in every month so they were built 2 months earlier Yeah. now here's the funny thing a lot of people are still saying okay the price is too high they you know blah 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 and everything we did our research online and uh, it it's quite surprising that actually The prices in UK, for example, okay? I'm going to give you the price in UK. This is going to blow your socks off, Richard. Mm. It's 14,900 pounds sterling. Wow. That's high, right? Yeah. That's about 85,000 ringgit in the UK before local taxes eh? and shipping.
2: 15,000 pounds, I think to me, if I was looking, like maybe it's because of the way that I look at the Suzuki Swiss sport, but... 15,000 pounds seems
0: quite like, you know, it's fair. It's Ford Fiesta ST price. Yes, but you see, for the average person in Malaysia, they're saying, this is a small car. Why is it so (laughs) expensive? So I'm just giving it a comparison. Now, in Australia, the exact same spec is being sold. I mean, Apple to Apple, exactly the same, for 30,000 Aussie dollars, Hmm. which is 97,000 Malaysian ringgit. And again, before tax, right? Yeah. Now let's get more interesting let's look at the price in Japan the price in Japan is 22000 US dollars which is 92000 ringgit ha huh. interesting so you must yeah so you must understand that if you're going to sell a car here you must put in a margin for warranty margin for showroom a margin for all kinds of other things plus tax so at 139000 this is not too bad
1: you can argue like that, but at the end of the day, it's a Suzuki Swift, and it's an expensive Suzuki Swift.
0: Exactly. So what <laughs> is, what it is is, it's Japan saying, "Hey, my car is top notch. My car has got all these extra features, or all this handling, or this build quality. You want, you buy. You don't like, it's okay. You know." Yeah,
1: we're gonna they're gonna make enough money overseas as it is.
0: Yeah. So you don't have to argue with me. You don't have to go on social media and shout at me. This is my selling price. So Naza Eastern is basically just playing playing with a little bit of a margin. And bringing these cars in. So the first batch was only four cars. Four cars for the launch. The next batch coming in is about 20 cars. And guess what? As of yesterday, they've already sold three cars. I thought you were going to say they were all sold out. <laughs> One car is for showroom. Like. Three cars are sold out. And they've got 20 over serious inquiries for the next batch. Of course, pending in mm. you know, a loan and this and that and everything else. So over the weekend, even though a lot of people said, oh, too expensive, Naza is not doing a good job, they're overcharging and all that, the foot traffic at the showroom was very, very good.
1: Can I ask a question? Yes. Now, um, Suzuki Swift traditionally is aimed at a specific demographic, right? It's, you know, 20s, early 30s kind of stuff. Correct. But at a price point like this, people who are in the 20s and early 30s probably can't, wouldn't normally be able to afford something like this. So what's happening there? Who, who's paying for this?
0: Mummy and Daddy right <laughs> no but if you think about it okay if you're earning the kind of money you earn richard and you are malaysian you know which are not many of them and you have a son or daughter who's 17 18 19 and they and generally people will start off with a Perdua or proton right mm-hmm. yeah but if you had richard's salary you'll say you know i want to give my son and daughter a slightly better car mm. okay so you'll go for suzuki swift because why it's you know it's it's got a better shell, it's got better features, it's a bit more premium, it's got a little bit more excitement. And then, you know, having it in your garage says that you got a little bit more money than, than the guy down the street.
2: You know what? That was exactly my university experience.
0: Ah, Then comes the next thing. is You see, if someone like Arif, okay, he's working, he's earning very well from BFM because BFM is the number one radio station in the nation. And he says... You know, I don't want a 2nd hand car anymore. I want a brand-new car. He will go for something like this because it shows that he's earning well, he's doing well, he's going to the next level of adulthood, you know?
1: Mm. Would you buy one of
0: these,
2: Arif? If it were in manual, yes, definitely. Ah, that's the other sticking point, right? (laughs)
0: Okay. So so because it's fully imported, I like to come to Arif's point. Because it's fully imported, if you want, you can put in an order for a manual. I'm sure Nazar will be able to talk to the factory and pull a manual in. But they're not going to put it in the showroom because why? A lot of people come in saying, okay, I want a manual. But they end up buying an auto because why? Years down the line, when they want to sell it, it's not easy to sell a manual.
2: Mm, That is true.
0: Because I drive manual cars and I know a lot of people say, oh, manual car, fantastic, blah, blah, blah. But when it comes to buying, uh, buy the auto. eh? (laughs) Okay. So we dissected the interior of this car. And we have to say, on par with what comes out of Europe in terms of small car uh, hatchback, say like the Polo GTI, the Peugeot yeah. 208 GTI, the Ford Fiesta, you know, the Fiesta ST.
2: In fact, I think this feels a bit more special than what the Fiesta ST looks like and all the other small cars look like because those red accents and, you know, those dials that point directly downwards exactly. when it starts. So it's amazing.
0: Yeah, it's not even that. It's just the touch and feel points, you know, the seat material, the door panel, yeah. the roof lining, everything is on a slightly above the norm in that segment. Yeah. Because Suzuki is not a mass manufacturer. Yes, in India they're mass because they're associated with Maruti and they've been selling like like crazy. They're like like when Volkswagen went to China, you know, early adopters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in in India everybody wants a Suzuki and a Maruti, but those Suzukis will not come to Malaysia. You're only going to get the ones coming from Japan. Yeah. And then you got the engine. Okay, the engine might not be the most liveliest engine in terms of figures because it's 1.4 liter turbocharged. Now, mm. that 140 brake horsepower might not tickle you enough. But because the car is only 970 kilos, which is very light, yeah. it's very perky. Even with the auto gearbox, it's very perky. And then you've got pedal shifters. So you can actually get that almost automatic driving feel, you know?
1: At that weight, it's about as heavy as a first edition Mini.
0: Uh, first edition Mini, about 800 kilos. It's actually wow. the same weight as a first edition Golf GTI Mark One.
2: Ah, weighs about the same as the Lotus Elise as well.
0: Exactly. So now we said 140 brake horsepower it doesn't sound too exciting, sound too exciting, but it is. But then you got 230 newton meters of torque, punchy, which is a lot for that kind of lightweight. And you got the semi bucket seats. You got that very progressive steering wheel. It's not too light. It's not too heavy. And you've got 16 inch wheels. So a lot of people said, "Oh, 16 inch wheels very small." Hey, better. you want perky, you want good handling, and then you want to be able to ride on our roads. You know, our roads are not the really best. But yeah. if you want to upgrade, go ahead. Buy yourself a set of 17- or 18-inch wheels. Then you will lose out on your pickup. Yeah. Unless you buy really good lightweight wheels. But then again, you lose out on your ride and handling. So this sweet spot, because, you know, within the, the track that we took inside the Nasa Auto Mall, there's a few speed bumps. We just went over the speed bumps without slowing down, and it was fine. Yep. You know, actually not supposed to do that because it's a test car. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but I hope nobody's listening. You didn't hear that, Naza. <laughs> uh, I hope nobody's listening. Actually, you know, they, they will because you know, we have 7 million listeners. But end of the day, this product to me, I mean, you look at the pictures, everything about it from the seats, door trim, everything else. The cabin is a premium feel cabin, okay? <laughs> yeah. Driving it, it feels like a really nice upmarket car. It doesn't feel cheap and cheerful, Okay. And end of the day, till today, you can see some seven, eight, nine-year-old Suzuki Swift running on the road with no issue. Mm. So you know the engineering is solid. There's something we haven't talked
2: about, which is the exterior looks. What do we think of that? I like it. I like it. It's cutesy, but it's not too cute. It's uh, it's got it's got a little bit of a.
1: I do like the yellow version. I've got to admit, and, uh, yeah.
0: and you know, for Richard to get in and out, no problem. You want Richard side because it is a tall car.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> The yellow one is very yellow.
2: And I feel like it's the only color that you should get it in.
0: Yeah. For me, I won't go for yellow because of my racial profiling. But, you know, I would rather, <laughs> I, would, I would, I would, I would actually like the blue one.
2: Fair enough. I mean, um, How does it drive? Because like my experience with a Swift is that it is probably one of the best driving cars back then worth eighty five thousand ringgit. It's it was you know super stable. It cornered. It was super fun. Even though it was a regular Swift with a four speed automatic gearbox, it was way more fun, way more engaging than a Satria Neo, which is kind of high praise, I think. Yes. So, what's it like to drive?
0: I will tell you this: from I've driven the first ever Suzuki Swift, first ever one, which was brought in by Lion Suzuki so many years ago, even before you were born. And at that time, against its competitors, like you said, it was always ahead of the rest, okay? Then came the second generation, which, of course, was brought in by DRB Highcom, and they sold it for many years. Very successful. They even had a GTI version, which was manual, which still today is very sought after. They still were ahead of the rest. Now, this one has ticked all the right boxes, and is still slightly ahead of the rest. I would actually put it side by side, And I know a lot of people are going to disagree, but I'll say this. Side by side with a basic BMW 1 Series Mm. and a basic a class Huge praise, that. Bold words. In terms of driving dynamics. Not in terms of outright speed or outright features, you know? Yeah. I'm talking about drive dynamics. But the Fiesta ST, it's more entertaining than this car.
2: But they don't bring it here.
0: They don't bring it here anymore. They used to sell it, but it only sold like a dozen units or so.
2: I do have a point about like, you know, the, the car price. Right. 140000 honestly, it didn't shock me. And I feel like it was worth every single penny. Yes. Mainly because it is what it is. You know, it's a Swiss port. It's a really, really special car. And if I thought about it, like, especially if you could get one in a manual, right. it's a perfect weekend car Yes, it <laughs> that is. doesn't cost much to run doesn't cost much to insure Yeah, uh, you could have a family car and still have your own Suzuki Swiss Sport to run about maybe if you go to work sometimes or stuff like that you know perfect yes. I mm. want
1: one mm. <laughs> and on that note we should probably wrap up yes we should Ladies and gents, thank you very much for tuning in to Cruise Control uh, this week. If you missed any part of the show, uh, we've been speaking about Vinfast, who are finally going public, Uh, Akio Toyota, two new 250,000 ringgit SUVs, the BMW 330 Li, the Porsche 911 Turbo S, and a car review of the Nimble Thimble the suzuki swift sport 1.4 if you missed any part of this show don't forget you can download the podcast uh, wherever you normally listen to your podcast from and of course join us next week same time same place for cruise control here on bfm 89.9 the business station
0: thank you for listening to this podcast